Hey there, it's me, Eddie Hurst, and welcome to Eddie Hurst's podcast version of The War of the Worlds. I am, as we've already established, I think about 17% of the title, uh, and then of course the rest of it is The War of the Worlds, the seminal sci-fi classic, where we, each episode, take apart a chapter of H.G. Wells' work, we add in jokes, we do some comedy songs, and we even have some deep dives of information to give you a little bit more of an idea behind the page. What's behind the page? It's, it's, another, it's another page, that's how books work. I mean a metaphor behind the page. Uh, if you will stop taking things so literally for one minute, thank you. We're on chapter six of book two. The Martians are here. They've caused a right mess. This is the work of 15 days. So, as we all know, the curator. And if you don't, go back and listen. I mean, this podcast is very much a chapter by chapter one, and you are, oh, I'd say about, uh, where are we, 70% of the way through around that? You've got, you've got loads that you've already missed on. There's a whole first series you can listen to. So go back there. We'll wait for you. We'll be right here when you come back. So the curator, kaput baby. Delightful sausage, delightful last chapter. Thank you very much for joining us. And what a lovely and interesting chat we had with Sabadra Daz as well last episode. But now we're leaving the house. Ooh, the stillness. Is it still going to be there? You'll have to wait and see. But rest assured, those Martians have uh, they've, they've, they've done a number on Earth, and we're going to find out about that. Thank you everybody who either live-streamed in or came to see me live at the Musical Comedy Awards. What a lovely time was had. I've also got some more exciting news I really want to tell you guys, but I can't yet because I have to keep a secret. But it's about live shows of War of the Worlds. <gasps> Finally! Could it be true? Yes, it, it can be true, and it's going to happen. But hold on to your horses, and I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, you can also find out at Eddie Hurst on Twitter or Instagram or forward slash Eddie Hurst on Facebook. You can find out there. Or just carry on listening to the podcast. Please like, rate, subscribe, tell your friends, tell enemies if you think they might be into it. I mean, I'm not, I, they're not my enemy. I don't have beef with them. Uh, unless you want me to, but then let me know who they are. At least communicate with me about that. Keep me in the know. I don't want to make a, make a fool of myself. Anyway, enough of my rambling. Let's get on to the episode. It is chapter six. Here we go, everybody. Thank you very much. Chapter six. The work of 15 days. For some time I stood, tottering on the mound, regardless of my safety. Great word alert, just a little great word announcement there. Tottering. Tottering. What a lovely, uh, lovely choice of word. Tottering. Within that noisome den from which I had emerged, I had thought with a narrow intensity only of our immediate security. I had not realised what had been happening to the world, had not anticipated this startling vision of unfamiliar things. I had expected to see Sheen in ruins. I found about me the landscape weird and lurid of another planet. Uh, sounds like a bit of terraforming. Uh, you might remember we, we had a chat a couple of chapters ago about this. It wouldn't be terraforming, would it? Because terra, terra is Earth, so that's Earth forming some. Mars forming, I guess. Marsh. Marsh form. It's quite specific. I'd be if it's not in this book, it wouldn't be anywhere, would it? Uh, so there you go. Uh, also, just bear in mind, I just put a little note here to have a have a joke. Say uh, maybe say terraforming to the to the Transformers theme tune. So it's like terraforming Martians making Earth into Mars or something like that. But but it's kind of hard to find a version of the uh, Transformers theme tune that you can actually just do that over to. Who who'd have thought that there's no karaoke track of the Transformers theme tune. I'm as shocked as you are. For that moment, I touched an emotion beyond common range of men, yet one that the poor brutes we dominate know only too well. 
I felt as a rabbit might feel returning to his burrow and suddenly confronted by the work of a dozen busy navvies digging the foundations of a house. Hello, it's me, the explaining lad. I'm just climbing up Mount Kailash as I've been looking through my charts, looking through the documents that were left in that laboratory and I believe this may be where I come from. I might grasp the secrets of my origin. So, whew, a bit chilly. The word navi, so a navi, navvies, they are, it comes from navigators, which is, it's basically slang for people who built the railway, so engineers, but they did a lot of different types of construction projects, so whilst they're most famous for the railways and being navigators there, they'd also operate heavy industrial machinery and do a lot of manual labour that was involved in stuff like house building, which is why they would be uh, digging foundations for a house in a rabbit hole. Anyway, I'm going to go... Got a mountain to scale! Bye! I felt the first inkling of a thing that presently grew quite clear in my mind, that oppressed me for many days. A sense of dethronement, a persuasion that I was no longer a master, but an animal among the animals. Under the Martian heel, with us it would be as with them. To lurk and watch, to run and hide. The fear and empire of man had passed away. I mean, as far as we know, it's just the 75 mile square radius of southwest England, but if you want to say that's the whole empire of man, fine, but I'm sure there's uh, just about every other country in the world, and a lot of counties in the country, that might, might be fine. It might be alright. But so soon as this strangeness had been realised, it passed, and my dominant motive became the hunger of my long and dismal fast. In the direction away from the pit I saw, beyond a red-covered wall, a patch of garden ground unburied. This gave me a hint, and I went knee-deep, and sometimes neck-deep, in the red weed. The density of the weed gave me a reassuring sense of hiding. The wall was some six feet high, and when I attempted to clamber it, I found I could not lift my feet to the crest. I don't know, maybe just go round it instead of your first thought being climb up it. So I went along by the side of it, and came to a corner and a rockwork that enabled me to get to the top. There you go, you daft starving bastard and tumble into the garden I coveted. Here I found some young onions, a couple of gladiolus bulbs, and a quantity of immature carrots, all of which I secured, and, scrambling over a ruined wall, went on my way through scarlet and crimson trees towards Kew. It was like walking through an avenue of gigantic blood drops, possessed with two ideas, to get more food, and to limp. As soon and as far as my strength permitted, out of this accursed, unearthly region of the pit. I might be the only one here, but did anybody else think that, that when he said to limp, he meant, like, there's a place in the southwest called Limp? Because, like, with all the names of the towns we've had so far, it's a genuine possibility. Some way farther, in a grassy place, was a group of mushrooms which I also devoured. Hang on, if there's one thing that I know about, like, eating out in the woods, you've got to be really careful of mushrooms, because they're either poisonous, or, or, or they're just they're just mushrooms, which isn't ideal, like just raw mushrooms. Or they're ones that make you trip balls. So like, is this is he doing this on the regular? Is this like his standard thing? He's always he's, maybe maybe this is all a hallucination he's having. Maybe none of this has happened. Maybe he just went into Horsell Common, had a bunch of mushrooms, and now he's really tripping out. God, what happened with that curate then? I mean, this really strengthens my theory. He just killed a guy. And then I came upon a brown sheet of flowing shallow water, where meadows used to be. These fragments of nourishment served only to wet my hunger. At first I was surprised at this flood in a hot, dry summer. 
but afterwards I discovered that it was caused by the tropical exuberance of the red weed. Directly when this extraordinary growth encountered water, it straightway became gigantic and of unparalleled fecundity. Oh, hi guys. Hello, I've just, uh, just camping out tonight. I've, I've done enough climbing for one day, I think. I'm just gonna chill out and enjoy some of my grub in a bag. What have I got? I've got some astronaut ice cream. I like to, oh, it's all dry. Ooh. And I've got a little pouch of what? sure is uh, dog food. Fecundity it is an ability to have lots of children, lots of offspring, so to quickly reproduce. Uh, you'd say like rodents have high fecundity or if you can release spores which are yourself. I'm not sure what you guys do to procreate and it's not my place to try and assume. Alright, good night. Its seeds were simply poured into the water of the Wey and Thames and its swiftly growing and titanic water fronds speedily choked both those rivers. At Putney, as I afterwards saw, the bridge was almost lost in a triangle of this weed. And at Richmond, too, the Thames water poured in a broad and shallow stream across the meadows of Hampton and Twickenham. As the water spread, the weed followed them, until the ruined villas of the Thames Valley were for a time lost in this red swamp, whose margin I explored, and much of the desolation the Martians had caused was concealed. Metaphor alert. Metaphor alert. An invasive species that's spreading very quickly. Hmm, I wonder what that sounds a little bit like. Comes from Mars. Ooh, I wonder if this is going to be uh, some sort of parallel, uh, parallel foreshadowing or something. We'll just have to wait and see. In the end, the red weed succumbed almost as quickly as it had spread. A cankering disease due, it is believed, to the action of certain bacteria presently seized upon it. Nah, ignore me, it's not important, that's never gonna come up again. Ugh, sorry, what a waste of time. I, d I can't rescind the metaphor alert, but just, just ignore I said anything. Now, by the action of natural selection, all terrestrial plants have acquired a resisting power against bacterial diseases. They never succumb without a severe struggle, but the red weed rotted like a thing already dead. Oh, I love it when HG gets to just talk biology for a bit. Good for him, why not? Crack on, pal. The fronds became bleached, and then shriveled and brittle. They broke off at the least touch, and the waters that had stimulated their early growth carried their last vestiges out to sea. My first act on coming to this water was, of course, to slake my thirst. That feels like a very sarcastic of course there, and I do not appreciate that. Like, oh, of course it was to drink it. Well, yeah, sure it was, but we don't know. This is your story. You're the narrator. Don't treat us like a bunch of idiots. Jeez. Goddamn. I drank a great deal of it and, moved by an impulse, gnawed some fronds of red weed. But they were watery and had a sickly, metallic taste. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. When in Martian war-torn London, have a go on a red weed. I found the water was sufficiently shallow for me to wade securely although the red weed impeded my feet a little, but the flood evidently got deeper towards the river, and I turned back to Mort Lake. I managed to make out the road by means of occasional ruins of its villas and fences and lamps, and so presently, I got out of this spate and made my way to the hill going up towards Roehampton and came out on Putney Court. Here the scenery changed from the strange and unfamiliar to the wreckage of the familiar. Patches of ground exhibited the devastation of a cyclone, and in a few score yards, I would come upon perfectly undisturbed spaces. Houses with their blinds trimly drawn and doors closed. 
as if they had been left for a day by the owners, or as if their inhabitants slept within. And that's just Putney normally! Oi oi! Now I've never been to Putney, I don't know what it's like. Please, if, you, if you're from Putney or the people of Putney, do not be angry at my joke. The red weed was less abundant. The tall trees along the lane were free from the red creeper. I hunted for food among the trees, finding nothing. And I also raided a couple of silent houses, but they had already been broken into and ransacked. I rested for the remainder of the daylight in a shrubbery, being, in my enfeebled condition, too fatigued to push on. I'm glad to hear that uh, he, he didn't learn too many survival skills from the artillerymen or being stuck in a house with the curate, as his first port of call for looking for food is up in a tree as opposed to in a house. Oh, maybe there is a picnic basket left in those branches. All this time I saw no human beings, and no signs of the Martians. I encountered a couple of hungry-looking dogs, but both hurried circuitously away from the advances I made them. Can you blame them? Your first thought was to try and eat them last time. Near Roehampton I had seen two human skeletons. Not bodies, but skeletons, picked clean. And in the woods by me I found the crushed and scattered bones of several cats and rabbits, and the skull of a sheep. But though I gnawed parts of these in my mouth, there was nothing to be got from them. Oh, gross! Oh no, imagine that, you'd be gutted, wouldn't you? You've had, a, you've had a go on clearly what somebody else has been picking on bones and then it's not even like, it's not even good. I mean, why would you expect it to be good? I don't know, he's going through a lot, isn't he? Maybe I, maybe I shouldn't be too harsh on him. After sunset, I struggled along the road towards Putney where I think the heat ray must have been used for some reason. And in the garden, beyond Roehampton, I got a quantity of immature potatoes, sufficient to stay my hunger. Oh boy, these potatoes are so immature, I wouldn't even send them to a nursery! Because like, a nursery is in like a plant, plant nursery and... Immature, immature potatoes. Hello? Hello? From this garden, one looked down upon Putney and the river. The aspect of the place in the dusk was singularly desolate. Blackened trees, blackened, desolate ruins. And down the hill, the sheets of the flooded river, red tinged with the weed, and over all, silence. It filled me with indescribable terror to think how swiftly that desolating change had come. So, I think at this point it's fair to say that, at least in a 75 mile square radius of southwest England, it's pretty knackered. Kew Gardens? Knackered. Hampton Court? Knackered. Chances of getting an overpriced coffee in a heritage surrounding? Absolutely knackered. But one thing that I think we're also starting to see a bit more of is why and how the Martians are invading. You know, like, whilst the red weed might not be a deliberate thing they've brought, they've certainly not planned to prevent it from coming with them, right? Like, if you knew you had dog shit on your shoes, you'd at least take them off before going in your friend's house, rather than just hoping they've got lino. And also, we know that they're having a little old nip of human blood for a bit of sustenance. Who can blame them? And they're getting aluminium out of the ground. I mean, whatever they're up to, they're definitely making the most of Earth's resources. But what are they planning to do with this stuff? Like, is it just to power them to take over more of the Earth? Get get superior resources to take them back to Mars? 
I mean, that checks out with a loose metaphor of colonialism, but I started to wonder, and I asked some of you guys who listen in out in the uh, social mediaverse, what examples we have of other successful invasions and what they do after they've conquered Earth. And it's been a while since we've done a list. Who doesn't love a bloody good list? Here we go, get ready for some top post-invasion plans. Number one, The Simpsons, Series 8, Episode 1, Treehouse of Horror 7, Minisode, Citizen Kang. At the start of what is often seen as the best season of one of the best TV series of all time, at least according to some very socially active and fulfilled YouTube commentators, Citizen Kang is one part of The Simpsons' Halloween special episodes, which feature three shorter episodes that parody or pastiche classic horror. And of course the difference between pastiche and parody is one is directly mocking a particular subject, whereas a pastiche is very much the general genre as a whole. The episode Citizen Kang sees recurring giant green aliens Kang and Kodos kidnap and pretend to be Bob Dole and Bill Clinton in a rigged election. Bob Dole. Only for their identities to be revealed by Homer before the voting, which Kang then wins anyway. But what do they do with the power of America's resources and workforce? They make a giant ray gun to fire at an enemy planet! That is a big intergalactic flex to invade a whole other planet purely to use them as a weapon against a separate planet. It's like using a fish as a weapon against a larger fish. Exactly like that, and there is definitely no other comparison that would possibly have worked there to make more sense. Let's rate their post-invasion plans. Bloodshed rating. Uh, pretty low here. I mean, even after Homer reveals their true intentions, he's he's not even killed. Uh, there's like a few whippings, but they're definitely not of a flogging level. I mean, some folks might even like it. Uh, I guess I guess it remains to be seen whether the ray gun would actually work. Although, guessing that they're using Springfield to build it, I, I don't feel completely confident in it. I'm gonna give them two out of ten due to potential workplace accidents. Achievability. I mean, they absolutely stormed it, didn't they? Clearly, they did their research before they went into the invasion and carried out the plans, and they just went right into it. I mean, who knows if Earth's craftsmanship will be strong enough? But I think with top leadership, they might make it. Let's give them nine out of ten. Allegory points. Well, I guess it's a bit of a satire on the two-party system in America, so it kind of works as an allegory for that. And also, personally, I quite like the idea that when Homer says, Don't blame me, I voted for Kodos. Go! Maybe there was like a totally different plan that Kodos wanted to do. Uh, anyway, let's give this 7 out of 10. Not really sure if you can put points on allegories. Number 2. They Live. John Carpenter's 1988 film sees professional wrestler Rowdy Roddy Piper take on the role of a drifter in LA, discovering some sunglasses that reveals the world is secretly being controlled by alien, blue and red-faced humanoids encoding secret messages to make sure that Earthlings obey their orders through our rampant consumption of products and media. They run all the big corporations and businesses of the world, extracting wealth through the labour of their workers. There is absolutely not meant to be a message about consumer culture or a criticism of capitalism. And actually, reminds me, I'm really excited to share our new sponsor with you, Obey Mind Supplements. You are nothing without these pills. Nothing, oh well. You need these pills to justify your wretched existence. These are your new god. They come with a 100-day returns policy guarantee, so you can take them back whenever you want, and you can get 20% off when you use the code Eddie Hurst podcast version of Jeff Wayne's musical version of HG Wells literary version via Orson Welles radio version and Steven Spielberg's film version of The War of the Worlds at checkout. To get back to the plot of the movie, uh, when Rowdy Roddy Piper finds this out, he does, of course, the only thing that anyone could in that situation. 
have a massive punch-up with your mate, and I mean like a really long, too, too long punch-up, then grab a massive gun and say, I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. He kicks alien ass! There's very low levels of bubblegum chewing in the whole film. Anyway, we're not rating his ability to masticate confectionery, we're taking a look at the aliens' plans of ruling the world through corporations and their capital dominance. So let's get on to rating that, yeah? Bloodshed rating. I mean, the bloodshed's pretty high here, I mean, although not as direct as a standard invasion would be. I mean, even Roddy trying to get to the alien spaceship leaves a lot of bloodshed. But of course, if you consider the day-to-day -day violence that is part of living in a capitalist system, you can see that there's a lot of bloodshed that wouldn't directly be quantifiable. Often, profits are put ahead of work safety, health systems are focused on making money as much as they are efficacy a lot of the time that can lead to suffering in a way that bloodshed isn't objectively measurable, but does certainly take part and take a place in it, even though it might sound pretty dull to go on about it. Seven out of ten! Lots of bruised butts. Achievability. I think probably the most depressing part of both Citizen Kang and They Live is that when the majority of people in these stories are presented with their oppressor's true identity, they don't really do much. But then again, is that similar to most invasions of other countries too? I mean, how many riots were there during like a, uh, the Roman invasion? I'm sure there were a few, but the majority probably weren't involved in it. And you know, what material change is there to most people's lives? To discover that aliens have been secretly ruling the world. They just want to run some company. Is that easier than making a ray gun? Probably. probably. A little bit more easy. 10 out of 10. Aim higher. The philosopher Slavov Zizek actually used this as an illustration of modern capitalism in his film The Pervert's Guide to Ideology. And I don't think you can get a much clearer critique of capitalist systems than through this movie. Although admittedly, there is a bit of a worrying far-right conspiracy theory community that has co-opted this as a metaphor for that old chestnut of Jews controlling the media, which is pretty, pretty fucking awful. So maybe Carpenter should have had a bit in it where the aliens look directly at the screen and say, also, we are absolutely in no way Jewish, so please don't go saying that, you big bloody racist. 9.5 out of 10. Pretty obvious unless you're an anti-Semite. 3. The Matrix. It's the film that launched a thousand leather trench coats, The Matrix. In the most late 90s plot possible, a computer hacker discovers a secret world through the digital landscape, revealing that the world we live in is an illusion. Michael. All part of a program called The Matrix. Oh my god, that's the name of the film! Created to use humans as batteries to power a massive AI system of machinery that took over mankind. Once released from the confines of his reality, our hero Neo joins a ragtag bunch of rebels to fight against the machines whilst also wearing sunglasses. And he knows Kung Fu! I know Kung Fu. Whereas the first two invasions that we looked at are largely about getting the resources from Earth itself, including natural stuff in the labour force, you know, a standard conquering strategy is basically just what wars on Earth look like anyway, just between different countries. This one is more of a parasitic relationship, whereas the others are the hunters looking to completely conquer and dominate. This is more insidious, it's more like they need the bodies of humans themselves, they need the planet of Earth itself, you know, kind of using them as a food source or, or, or a battery, so they could stick a few humans in the back of the Game Boys to get a few more hours out of it. See also, your invasion of the body snatchers, where they just need human bodies to help them make a bunch of pods. The Borg in Star Trek. 
Those guys in Stargate who plant eggs in stomachs. The Thing. Alien? Kinda? The difference with the Matrix is that they also make this imaginary world for their captives to live in, which I can't really figure out if that's better or worse. I mean, some people like being in the Matrix. Would you would you prefer to live a lie or, or not? I mean, I guess that's what the whole film's about, isn't it? So just go watch that. You don't need to bother hearing me go on about it. Let's get on to rating it. Bloodshed. Yeah, I mean, it, it's essentially a shed full of blood, this one, isn't it? You couldn't get more bloodshed than this. It's not far off a techno-vampire thing, and they'd love to have a larder like that at the bottom of their gardens. 10 out of 10. Achievability. Well, with 90s hardware being what it was, you'd probably be lucky to get any 3D rendering of graphics, so I'm not 100% sure they'd be able to do that. Also, not sure what the internet connection would be. Uh, they'd probably need a lot of modems. I mean, 90s? They didn't even have broadband back then. Imagine having to run like a whole world of people on dial-up. How's that gonna work? Seems, pretty, seems a pretty tall order for the technology available. Two out of 10, upgrade your RAM. Allegory rating. Now, people have claimed all sorts of readings for The Matrix. Obviously, there's an idea recently of it as a trans allegory, given the Wachowski sisters' lived experiences, but there's also an updated take on living within a capitalist world where you're simply used for your labour, like in They Live. Uh, but I think one of the things is that the, the Matrix lends itself to so many readings and so many different interpretations that there isn't a, a clear a clear thing uh, that, that an allegory basically is meant to be, in it. So, I mean, I guess it's unfair to try and shove this and and sure the broad ambiguity of all narrative telling into a uh, into into uh, the the confines of a particular literary type of allegory but hey the bullet timings are cool aren't they you like that bit seven out of ten kind of but not really but maybe actually yeah again i'm not really convinced this bit needed to to have a rating system on it so where does the War of the Worlds that we're reading fit into this? Well, it, I think it's an interesting one, because it's a little bit of both of these types of post-invasion plans. Like, we know now that the Martians are consuming human blood for their food source, so they absolutely need them in a sort of parasitic relationship, but also they're trying to dominate, they're trying to take materials and land out of the ground. Uh, although, who knows what they're going to do with it? Are they going to make a giant ray gun or, or, or run, a, run a successful business? We'll have to see. As we've already discussed, there's a clear riff on the idea of a colonial invasion story here. But the difference is, whereas a European colonial power would simply be taking resources back to their home country, from what we've seen so far, they're just taking materials that they need to carry on their invasion. They've not even set up a single tent yet. Those tripods must stink. Do Martians poo? Is poo a possibility in the world of the Martians? I mean, I guess if they're just sucking blood, like, look, look, I, I look at leeches, apparently very slowly excrete plasma from their blood they consume, so I guess that's probably the closest thing It'd be similar to that? I mean, why did HG not answer the questions we really need to know, damn it? For a time, I believed that mankind had been swept out of existence, and that I stood there alone. The last man left alive. Hard by the top of Putney Hill, I came upon another skeleton, with the arms dislocated and removed several yards from the rest of the body. As I proceeded, I became more and more convinced that the extermination of mankind was, save for such stragglers as myself, already accomplished in this part, already accomplished in this part of the world. The Martians, I thought, had gone on and left the country desolated, seeking food elsewhere. Perhaps even now they were destroying Berlin or Paris, or it might be they have gone northward. Well, there we go, guys. How much work was done in 15 days? 
I don't know. Not loads. A lot of gardening. A lot of red weed. And some uh, a lovely little bit of uh, comparison to, to, to humans being like animals, innit? That's nice there. So uh, thank you so much for listening, guys. I hope you've enjoyed this one. I uh, hope you like the little deep dive on invasions. Uh, I find it quite interesting. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't consider that uh, it feels like most invasions boil into two things. Of course, uh, it is worth uh, worth an honourable mention in there to ones that I didn't feature, which was Arrival, um, which is a great one where they they invade Earth, but they're actually they're actually all right in the end, aren't they? Uh, and also, the day the Earth stood still has that sort of narrative, doesn't it? Like, uh, they be nice humans, but then I guess that's meant to be a more reflection on the morality of mankind, isn't it? Uh, it's meant to be more of a reflection on the reality of mankind. Uh, sounds fun, doesn't it? Sounds like a real romp. Please like, share, subscribe to the podcast. It does really help if you tell folks on social media, let them know. Keep retweeting. Thank you very much to everyone who is. And if you put a review on Apple, it does it does help people find this. So uh, that'd be great. Thank you very much. Um, if you're in Manchester uh, on Thursday this week, so tomorrow from the time that you're listening to it, why not come along to Cultural Comedy Tours? It is a series of nights that I organise with Dan Nicholas where we get stand-up comedians to come and give tours of museums and art galleries. Uh, so this this time we have uh, Fox Dog Studios, who are amazing, and also Hannah Platt, who you may recognise as Ogilvy the Astronomer from the early chapters of this podcast. So you can find out more info at salfordmuseum.com where you can buy tickets for that. And if you use the code TOUR2 for one, you'll get 50% off. Anyway, guys, please do like, rate, share, subscribe, follow me at Eddie Hurst on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and I'll see you for the next chapter, Chapter 7, The Man on Putney Hill. It is a book-only chapter. This wasn't in Pearson's Literary Digest. Uh, I'll tell you more about it, but we've got a fantastic guest on for it as well. I'm really excited to finally be able to talk to him uh, about about the book and all sorts of things that are very on brand for, for our guest, who I will keep secret for now. See you in the next chapter, guys. Bye! <laughs>